0: Hello, my fellow music lovers. I'm Alison Hagendorf, and welcome to the show. This is where we celebrate the universal love of music and the rock and roll spirit that lives in each of us. My guests today are rock star couple Andy Black of Black Brides and Lilith Czar. Lilith and I go way back. I discovered and signed her to her first record deal as Juliet Sims when she was only 16, and she has always been like a little sister to me. Since then, I have fallen in love with Lilith and Andy as a couple, and I am so grateful for their love. We talk all about how they serve as each other's muse, how their incessant drive has helped them to overcome adversity throughout their artistic journeys, how sobriety has forged the path to their best selves, and what you might be surprised to learn about them as a couple. And stay tuned after the interview for my sound advice. New music you need to know. It all starts now. Hi, guys. Hi. So I couldn't resist. I am wearing an automatic love letter crop top.
1: Perfect. (laughs) I'm sorry.
0: You know, I'm the biggest dork.
2: I can't believe you still have that. That's awesome.
0: I have like OG merch from automatic love letter. I do. That's amazing. It is wonderful to see the two of you beautiful beings. How are you guys? It's so good to see you, Allison. We're great.
1: Yeah, we're doing good. I'm, I'm envious of your shirt. I ha- I only have like later era automatic. Well, love letter if, you, merchandise. if
2: you really want one, all we have to do is go to my mom's That's house. That's true. Yeah. My mom has every single shirt you ever made. Natalie has every,
1: uh, just like my, my dad is the same way. He has every black shirt ever made. And Natalie has every automatic love letter shirt ever made.
2: Yeah, but she stopped after Automatic Love
1: Letter. (laughs) No, i That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) I think most days when we're over there, she's wearing a LC shirt.
2: Yeah, she's really cute. She'll be like, my friends think I'm so cool with my rock (laughs) t-shirts.
0: Oh, that's the best. Well, you know, I take pride in my rock t-shirt collection, and Automatic Love Letter is a big part of it. That's awesome. So, guys, where are you right now?
1: We're in my studio in our house in Tampa.
0: Yeah, this is Andy's, like, podcast slash man cave. That's wonderful. And so, t- so are you, you're doing your, your podcast right now? Do you use it for your podcast? Do you do music in there too? Or is it just for your, for your show?
1: Uh, it's kind of my, my little think tank. So every creative, I do, I do everything creative in here. So whether I'm making costumes or designing stuff or working on music or anything, i the room is surrounded by toys and the way I just fixed a piece of her jewelry this morning. And here's just like, this is like where I just do stuff.
2: Yes, and my think tank is across the
1: across the the way on the other side. It has more
0: clothing in it. Hers is much more clothes, (laughs)
1: mine's much more action figures and comic books.
0: The two of you are such kindred spirits and you know, I don't even know if listeners realize that I have known Juliet since you were what, sixteen? Yeah.
2: You are the you discovered me. (laughs) You were the one who um who, you know, introduced me into this world and Aww. I will never forget the day that I met you.
0: And I will never forget that day because you actually made me cry. I like, I actually was like watching you play your guitar and singing your lyrics and I was like teared up and I was like, this girl is a superstar. Yeah. Oh, thank you.
1: She has that yeah. effect on people. I've been yeah. crying for uh, 12 years.
2: Making <laughs> cry every morning. Yeah. That's how we start our day.
1: And, well, no. I, I, the honest to God truth is and this is true. I mean, I obviously wasn't around in those days, but um, there's just something really special about her with her guitar. And when we first met, that's she, all, she was on work tour, um, just playing acoustic by herself up on stage every day. And I it was he was uh, just
2: standing in the crowd crying.
1: Yeah. And I was crying. <laughs> well, I was crying because I was so hot and it was so early and I was hungover <laughs> and I couldn't believe I had to get up so early. Uh, no, but it was appointment viewing every day. And, and to this day. You know, I love everything that she does, but just her with a guitar is is always the best. Thank
0: you. You're right, and and Juliet, that is sort of unique to you that you can be as powerful just you and an acoustic guitar, and then also you're an incredible, incredible front person with in an arena. Thank you. Do you prefer to play one more one over the other, or or, or both of them complete you?
2: Um, they both have their own kind of power. I think you know when you're just playing acoustically, it's very intimate. It feels very raw. It feels like Um, a more personal connection. And there's Mm -hmm. something incredibly strong about that. But then when you're in an arena setting with a rock band, there's something more, I guess, triumphant feeling about that, more Mm -hmm. superhero-esque. So they both have a heavy weight of power to them. Um, So it it would be really hard for me to pick or choose, which I prefer.
0: Yeah. Andy, I will not forget the day that Juliet told me that she met you. And was head over heels for you. Uh, I know you guys had connected before, but I remember her specifically telling me that you were it, like you were you were the guy. And oh. it is it is you guys are are star crossed. I mean, I mean, it's pretty amazing to see both of you, such multifaceted creatives, where music is just actually one of your forms of, of it's one medium. Um, yeah. You know, Juliet, you've always style, fashion, jewelry. You know, and the the okay. two of you. It's pretty cosmic. It's really cool. Do you guys feel that you are each other's muses in a ways creatively?
2: Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah, One hundred percent. I always, you know, I always tell Andy that um, apart from me being in love with him and, Uh, you know, thinking he's the greatest, what he brings to me um, artistically is a lot of inspiration, whether it be lyrics and songwriting, um, aesthetic. I learned so much from him. I think I, I might be biased, but I think he's one of the smartest people. I, I probably, if not the smartest person I've ever met.
0: Hey. Hey.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I really, um, find a lot of inspiration, just, just talking with him and being with him.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, very much the same. First of all, thank you. Very nice. uh, I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> about me. Should, I finally
2: a, told it's you. It's a yeah. good thing we're married. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I mean, the truth of the matter for me is um, we met when I was and started dating when I was 20. And mm-hmm. my life experience at that point had been, I started the band when I was 16. I had been touring in a van and in a car and, you know, just living dropped out of high school, living the the rock and roll life. And, and really, Everyone that was around me in the early days of my life were people that were, um, generally significantly older than me and mostly people that the, the, their perspective on music was very different. The reason that they wanted to create was very different. The reason that they wanted to connect with an audience was very different and not taking away or disparaging those reasons. But I had never known anybody who shared so much ideology with me in terms of the importance of, um, that your art is speaking, uh, about something and that the hope, whether that is about heartbreak or, you know, regrets or love or whatever it is, um, those things are intrinsically a part of the people that are listening to your songs and being able to cultivate those thoughts into ways that, uh, mean something to somebody. And so when I met Juliet and I was listening to the Kizil take their monsters on record on that warp tour, the first thing that struck me was from a lyrical perspective, that she had such a passion for, um, the underdog for, for people like ultimately, you know, we were both nerds growing up and, and didn't have a lot of friends and <laughs> the idea that, you know, I had not experienced, um, somebody that had such a similar, um, I guess, artistic idea to me. And then ultimately when we started dating, um, just learning a different experience in life of, of, you know, being with somebody that. Every step of the way, we're always trying to push each other and um, in a, not in a overt way where we're saying like, you got to do more. It's just literally when you live in a house with somebody who's always pushing and doing more, you can't help but do. It. That's why I always say, you know, the record that I made in my career that has been to this point, the most successful record that just turned 10 a couple of days ago was a record called Russian and Divine and Song in the End was a big song. Um, that record was really, it was the first, within the first year of us living together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was on The Voice and there was just all this stuff going on. And I had felt so much inspiration to just do more and to push more. And I would come home every day from John Feldman's studio and play her the stuff that I was working on. I was so excited about what I felt was a market difference in my creative output from 2010, set the world on fire to meeting her, to dating, to now I've got this like kindred spirit artistically. So what you're
2: saying is I created Wretched and Divine. No, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I would say <laughs> that yes.
0: Well,
1: you, you brought up the idea of muses, and I think it really is true. Maybe it's not that you're writing all the art about this person or that they directly influence the art, but the existence of having somebody who is so much a piece of who you are um, and mm-hmm. so tethered yeah. to your heart and how you feel about things, that inherently in some ways informs the way that you make something. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's really nobody in my adult life who's been more inspirational to me than her. Oh,
0: that's really beautiful. You. Also, you said earlier, you both, not only your talent, but your work ethic, your drive, your resilience and persistent nature. Both of you have been doing this your entire lives since you were teenagers I'd love to know with each of you, was there a moment, like your earliest moment of memory of music or when you knew that music had to be your life?
2: Man, that's so... I mean, I don't recall a time ever in my life where I didn't know that this was what I wanted to do. Mm. And I think that comes from the fact that I grew up in a household where we had music playing nonstop. From the moment my parents woke up to the moment we w- went to bed, there were records playing in my house, whether it was Rolling Stones, David Bowie, the Beatles, Janice Joplin, the Eagles, Simon and Garfunkel. Um, it was always, always playing. And my, my, we, you know, we grew up in California and my dad and his brothers were surfers. So there was just this like, um, I don't know, just this beach hippie, you know, surfing all the time. Uh, families are together for barbecues all the time kind of energy and vibe. And everybody in my family essentially can play an instrument or sing one way or another. Right. So there was always jam sessions. And, um, I, th- I, I mean, it probably stems from the fact that, you know, I've always wanted the attention on me. <laughs>
0: you know, sure growing not. up
2: with siblings and cousins yeah. and people all around, you know, you're kind of vying for attention constantly. And you do kind of whatever you can do to stand out from the pack. And are those um, like dance moves?
1: You, those s- are, yeah, you do the sort of things whatever things you can what do.
0: do. I love that. To stand that. Yeah. <laughs> and so The robot.
1: She was doing the robot all day <laughs> long as a child.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Exactly.
2: But I would say that the first time I ever sang for my family, I was about six, six years old. And we were in, uh, we were on vacation in Mexico. And it was like, there was like 20 of us. And um, I had been practicing a, a song from the Little Mermaid. And oh. my mom, my mom was like, "Julia, do you want to get up and sing for the family? And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. So I get up on the, we were eating at this like really long dining room table and i got up and i and i sang um the song and uh on the way down like everybody applauded after i sang and on the way down from the table i hit my head on the chandelier <laughs> and go conked it so hard like to the point where my mom had to like catch me and everybody was still cheering even though i hit my head and i just remember that whole the whole even though i hit my head the euphoric feeling that i felt from performing and Everybody clapping and everything just felt great, and I was kind of—I'm kind of always chasing that feeling.
1: So she she hits her head after every yeah, show. Every show, you yeah, so do that to recreate
2: ritual.
1: the only yeah, way yeah. to recreate it. Uh, walk right into a wall. i I similarly. Um, it's funny because listening to you know I've I've heard that story before, obviously, but just hearing kind of I know so much about her family and having been in this family for so many years, like it it makes me happy hearing about those times because I know. The first time I ever went over to their house, you know, for the first holidays, oh it was God. Simon and Garfunkel playing on the stereo or all this stuff, you know. So, yeah. um,
2: Are you not going to tell them about getting into the costume?
1: I wore it. Well, I was going to tell my my childhood of music. I wasn't necessarily going <laughs> to go directly into uh, other times I've spent at my in-laws' house where I may or may not have gone into a costume closet, which existed at the house, yeah. and put on everything in the whole... Hot
2: uh, pink uh, 80s jumpsuit.
1: This was maybe within is this the This documented. Three or four days. I would like
0: to see this.
2: Yeah. Yes. yeah, my parents immediately knew he would fit right in. The photo Perfect.
1: circulates every so often yeah. of me Good. in like a cowboy hat and like a purple eighties onesie and other things.
0: Amazing, as it should.
1: But I would say that the distinction for me is while um, I certainly grew up with music as a as a, a, a core element of my life in the sense that my dad was in bands, um, had a lot of success uh, with punk bands. He, played in bands that played at CBGBs and and got to play with the Misfits and Social Distortion oh, and the wow. Cars and all these bands. So he was a singer in, in punk bands. Hey, so cool. And so the introduction to punk rock music was the first thing. And, um, and kind of tangentially also classic rock. That's a little bit more palatable for like a young kid. So, you know, kiss and ACDC and Aerosmith and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I gravitated to kind of towards all of it and it was always around. And for me, Um, I would say the distinction between her family experience and mine is that we are very much a, there's three of us, my mom, my dad, and me, my parents are not social people. I'm not a particularly social person. Not that we don't like other people. It's just, we kind of had this little unit. So, so much of my adolescence was spent dreaming at home and making stuff. And I had no siblings and I didn't really have any friends. So my performances were primarily for the mirror and you know, I was, I was kind of at, at school. We've talked about this, obviously at school, you know, I was, um, they called me Chunk because they said I look like Chunk from the uh. Goonies because I was a, I, you know, I was an overweight kid and, um, you know, I, I wasn't popular. And so opportunities to perform were really few and far between. So really for me, I got lost in the fantasy world of the dreams I wanted to make and being this kid from uh, Southwestern Ohio and thinking I'm going to become a big rock star and then planning it. And, you know, I would. I was building uh, model stages in my room with working lights. And I, I, we, I ran through every camcorder that my parents ever had mm-hmm. filming myself in my room every day. Like it was rehearsal or practice. I would film myself doing a whole set and then my dad and I would watch it. And I've always been into sports. My dad's always been a coach in sports and we would assess it. Like we would film. Like I would mm-hmm. look in things that I didn't like about my voice or ways I wanted to broaden the way that I could sing or perform. Like, so for me, so much of it about like when you ask when it's really been the totality of my life, the idea that I, I, I you know, there's a Springsteen song called Working on a Dream. And I, I've always used that as the point of reference for me in my life is everything in my life is working on a dream. Sitting in this room, everything that I do mm-hmm. on a day to day basis, every conversation that we have at nine in the morning while we're having our coffee is working on this dream that is kind of eternal for us.
2: Yeah. And I think that kind of comes from like stems from the fact that we always feel like, at least for me, I always feel like I could do better, be better, like in, in kind of a productive, positive light. Like I, I am kind of hard on myself, but I think that it is a good thing because that's kind of what has driven me my whole life. Is that I'm like, nope, you need need to do more. You need to do better. You need to practice harder. You need to make more things. You need to write more stuff. Like I'm always kind of kicking my own ass.
1: Basically, we're stressed out all the time. (laughs) All the time. (laughs) So if if you are someone who is inclined to uh, say negative stuff about us or to us on the internet, just know we're already stressed out. Um. You don't need to add to it. We're just trying to relax in the five minutes a day we allow ourselves to not be working on some scheme or dream. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, like and it, it really is. It, and it's but it's it's about the fun of of creation and the fact that we have in our life over the last decade plus been able to sustain each other emotionally, romantically, and creatively yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, it's it's a huge element. I can't imagine anything that happens in my life creatively and and vice versa, that we don't have some dialogue about or that we're not working on together in some capacity.
2: Yeah. For sure.
0: I think fans might look at you now and say, you know, the king and queen of the scene or however they may look at you.
1: Well, I did. There's a big sign in front of our house that says that. I made that a couple of years ago. (laughs)
0: Guys, but but what they might not realize is how many obstacles, how much you have both had to endure and overcome. Um, I mean, Juliet, I was with you for many of them, many many years. I don't know if people realize the physical blood, sweat, and tears how many times you have to get knocked down and, yeah. and, and, and and tortured almost in a way. What would you say enabled you to overcome these obstacles? Is there one obstacle in particular that you were so proud when you got to the other side? And it, was there a moment where you're like, you know what? I've succeeded already or I'm happy or I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what I've accomplished.
2: Well, I think for me, um, you know, going back to being a child and having these big dreams of making it in music. Um, one of the first memories I have of, you know, hoping this happens for me one day and what my idea of, of making it means is being on the radio. Mm-hmm. So at a very, very, very young age, I would, um, you know, that was a thought that ran through my head m- a few times every single day, and listening to the radio and just envisioning it and thinking about what that's going to be like. I
0: mean, that this
1: was, by the way, happening in the twenties. So she had this like Dickensian sort of <laughs> and old I was having to transistor radio to, to yeah. crank it.
0: He's cranking. She's and she, and
1: the, yeah, there was just the hello, my baby. That's what it was. And she's thinking, one day. Oh, one day.
0: <laughs> I was picturing exactly that. So yeah. yeah,
1: sort of. Yeah, just think the newsies.
0: Sort of. <laughs> so, um... Jesus. Christ. my chair really <laughs> flew when you put there's I a lot of wheels, wheels went, on it i went halfway to the other side of the room. she's strong
2: she's strong so that was that was all that was you know one of the things i wanted to achieve so badly and like you were saying um a few minutes ago we were talking about just the hurdles and the the struggle and the getting knocked down and the blood sweat and tears i mean that uh that thought of me hearing my own song on the radio Uh. has been a driving force. And so throughout your career, you, you find these, these goals and these things that you want to achieve and attain. And you're kind of like roping yourself in towards them. And Mm -hmm. those, those that want is so strong that it, you know, it it helps you hurdle over all of these, these obstacles and, Mm and, And things that get in your way. And I would say that it felt like I had finally achieved that childhood dream about a year and a half ago when I heard my song Anarchy playing on rock radio for the first time. And so that was definitely a beautiful crying, oh my gosh, you know, 85 years later. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Everyone that she knew from back then had died of old age, yeah. so she couldn't call anybody and <laughs> tell them about him.
0: Oh, were, where where Do you remember where you were when you first heard your song on the radio?
2: Yeah, we were in the car together. Mm-hmm. We were in the car together, and I just heard don't don't, and I was like, and I like whipped out my camera and immediately started recording. And Andy shut the radio off.
1: Yeah, I said that's enough of that. Yeah, you heard it. You got your dream.
0: Yeah. What about you, Andy?
1: well, you know I, I would say this um, and not to to blow too too much smoke up up your ass, but the truth Why? of the matter is at no point in my life have I faced the level of adversity in my career um, that she has It's just plainly true I mean chief among them is the fact that obviously things have improved recently, but being uh, a woman in the in the rock music industry has been um, essentially you know there's an impossibility to rising up the ranks to a certain degree and there's certainly um more work that has to be done when you also combine that with the age that she was when she started dealing with um you know having very few people like yourself in the music industry more people that um are sort of you know transient people that maybe come into your life and then go and maybe aren't aren't there for you
2: you yeah i mean i was not to cut you off but i was extremely fortunate to have you allison in the the early stages of my career because not only did i have a really strong empowered woman to look up to and learn from but i had somebody who was champion championing me and cheerleading for, for what I, it is that I wanted to do What I wanted to say, the type of artist I wanted to be, you really helped Nurture that And um, I was very, very fortunate And then and then We parted ways and everything went to shit <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, like, anyways I was always in your corner rooting For you, always I know, yeah. I know, I know you have
1: if, if I'm in the middle of talking about you yeah. uh, I believe it is appropriate to chime in About you <laughs> You know, okay. if I were telling a story about when I were like eight and you're like, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> you're
0: like enough of that. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but so the truth of the matter is, you know, my my struggles come down to um, a lack of belief in the band or myself from the music industry at large since the beginning. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, I wrote a book a couple years ago with my friend Ryan Downey, and a lot of that story is. It's about the reality that when you want something or that your dreams are um, left of center in terms of what the average person might want out of life, the being able to accept that people are going to say that you suck or going to tell you that you're bad, whatever it is, and being able to figure out how you can compartmentalize that and make that something that is not just a chip on your shoulder, but something that, that fuels you in a way that's not just revenge, but healthy for the growth of your art. Um but the biggest challenges that I've had or, or continue to have is that, you know, people really made their minds up about Black Veil Brides in the early days and sort of decided based on the visual or early songs or whatever kind of what we were. And when I was younger, that frustrated me a little bit more because I was sort of like, oh, people don't even listen to the songs. Um And now at 32, it both amuses me that people don't necessarily know what we sound like. And also, I feel extremely fortunate that there's still a conversation about us, you know, that. We just had uh, the biggest touring year we've ever had, that we've had uh, you know, the most streams ever that we've had in our career, like the fact that here we are all these years later. There is something about and and this is the last thing I'd say about this. There is um uncool, and then there's alternative, and then there's bands and artists and people who find themselves treated poorly or uncool by even the alternative and uncool people. And to me, those are the real outcasts. And that's the people that have gravitated towards our music. The people that I have tended to, I guess, gravitate towards in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, Nine tenths of the people that would tout themselves as avant-garde or alternative by and large are people who um sort of just wear that like a, like a skin suit, you know, it isn't representative mm-hmm. of anything about them in their life. And I'm very proud to know that so many people who have the most, um, interesting and uh you know obviously difficult but certainly um real lives have gravitated towards uh our music and I get to meet them every day mm-hmm. and awesome. um so that I would say the biggest hurdle for me is simply you know how do you figure out how to make it being a, a kid in southern ohio and and moving and living in my car and all that stuff but um you know I've been really lucky in my life and I think a lot of it has to do with with a little bit of luck um so I I just feel fortunate but to witness her over the course of even the last 10 years, um, not only whether the storm of massive changes in her career and the musical climate um, to rebrand, to have more now in terms of equity in her, you know, for lack of a better term brand than she's ever had. Uh, that to me is, is a real resilient story and something that is the things that we write about or that we want to see. That's the things that you cheer for is Somebody who really truly gives a shit and will show it forever.
0: Oh, thank you. That's beautiful, and not- Andy. Andy, I could I can just listen to you for hours. uh you, you know, have, she has like, to every day. Yeah, That's mostly yeah. <laughs> so.
1: Just imagine what I'm doing now, but just for 24 hours a day, just pontificating about anything I see.
0: Julia, I'd, lo- I'd love to talk a little bit about Lila and this yes. this last iteration, which brought you the success that you have been manifesting your entire life was there an impetus was it just a gradual i can't take it anymore this i have evolved into this i'd love to hear a little bit about the specific transition and celebration of this chapter
2: all right so you know it wasn't a specific one thing that happened it was uh, a culmination and a and a uh you know, vast, uh, variety of, of incidences and things that happened in my life, whether that was, you know, um, self-betterment and, and, uh, you know, changing things that I was doing in my life that were negatively affecting me, whether it was, uh, uh, recognizing when I was, You know, being faced with sexism or adversity, or um, you know, uh, just growing and evolving as a as a woman and as an artist, and throughout you know throughout your life, you change, you evolve, you change, you come, you learn from your experiences. You're constantly blossoming, and um, I think I had gotten to a point in 2020 where. I had become a completely different person than who I was just even five years prior, mm-hmm. ten, you know, 10 years prior, like I had become a, a a whole different human and the gift that I got with COVID and with, uh, you know, quarantine was being able to, to recognize that mm-hmm. and um, validate it and see it and really, take an assessment of like my life and the, the journey up until till the present time and what it is I actually wanted to move forward um, and convey to my audience and convey as an artist what I wanted to put into the world, what I wanted to, to bring to people. And I felt like I... Wanted to, I wanted to tell people and show people with my art and with, with a story that I put together that you can overcome anything, that you can beat struggles that you're dealing with, that you can, um, change if you want to change, that you can, you can, uh, achieve your dreams if you want them that badly and, you know, just even looking at some of my heroes, you know, growing up and David Bowie and Elton John and Stevie Nicks. And they were, I mean, just to name a few. And they were, the, mm-hmm. they were these larger than life, uh, dramatic theatrical artists that painted pictures and stories. And that's always what I wanted to do. That's mm-hmm. always who I wanted to be. And throughout my journey in the music industry... That had been some. That had been taken away from me. That was something I was told, you know, that I couldn't do. That it wasn't achievable. It, you know, you got to do this kind of music. You got to sing like this. You got to write songs like that. Like whatever it is, all this evaluation from um, outside people rather than just what I'm telling myself. So, 2020, I looked at that year as an opportunity to, to change everything, to completely flip the script and to be exactly who I wanted to be and do exactly what I wanted to do.
0: How fulfilling and liberating (laughs) that must be super liberating. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, and the truth of the matter is that even on a, on a personal level, you know, there was so much and, and from both of us, you know, I always kind of say that the daily goal of life is to be less shitty than you were the day before, like to, <laughs> to be a little bit less Love that. of a crappy, whatever. And for yeah. both of us, you know, we were at this place when we first met where we were both kind of in a place where we were having fun and it's rock and roll. And then, but then we also were masking problems that we both had uh-huh. with alcohol and um, you know, we, we both got to a place where we were kind of crappy people for a little while, you know, at least not the versions of ourselves that we are now. And so, you know, for her, the struggles that she went through and everything she fought through and, and sobriety for both of us. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she really was, I and I've always said this about like, for me, when I made my first solo record and I started to feel like myself again, it's not that I became a different person. It's that I became the version of myself that I most wanted to be yeah. when I was a little kid thinking about what I was going to be. Yeah. And I think for her, Lilith Tsar, at least as just an outsider, really represents what the six-year-old who can't stop hitting her head on stuff. Uh, wanted.
0: <laughs> that clumsy child.
1: <laughs> yeah. out, out in the streets in the, in the 17th century
0: begging for scraps of
1: bread. Um,
0: Please. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, Oliver Twist. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. I You know, I mean, I really do think that represents more of of who we really are intrinsically, and that's maybe why the two of us feel in such a, a different place on every level, and certainly why Lilith Tsar is is such a. It's not a uh, something that she's wearing; it's something that she she more um, became over the course of finding herself. Thanks,
0: babe. Well, you know I love the album Juliet and um of course Anarchy was the song that resonated with me the first second and of course King um I love Lola. You know, I, I, that that song really has a special place in my heart, but there that one lyric that has resonated with a lot of fans to the point where montages have been made of you <laughs> saying it on stage, who's to yeah. say a woman can't think with her dick? Yeah. Yes. Tell us about that lyric um, and does it surprise you how much it's resonating with fans?
2: Um,
1: I wrote it. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> I'm going to go. You take over. You yeah. still, uh, no.
1: Well, you, you, uh, you wrote Wretched and <laughs> Divine. So that's, yeah, yeah. I did. That's we, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That, was, uh, that is great. true. Really, really,
2: I just want his career and he wants mine. Yes.
1: Aww. I dress in all the little czar outfits. Every uh, night.
2: <laughs> and he just talks for hours. <laughs> So that lyric um, stems from a, a, a lot of frustration of feeling uh, like I was being treated differently because I was a woman. Yeah. Um, from being told women don't make it in rock music to um, you know being treated like I was being a bitch if I was stating my opinion or being you know uh, asserting myself. Um, it comes from just this pent up, uh, you know, frustration and rage of being looked at any differently from a man. Right. And so that lyric, um, although it has a very sexual connotation to it, which it still totally means like, who's to say a woman can't just want to get laid or just think with her dick but it also comes from uh more notably it comes from who's to say a woman can't have power yeah and can't you know that's the only difference between men and women is boys have peepees <laughs> <laughs> the only fucking difference is a body part and so it's it's essentially you know if a, a man's penis is it his power and his, you know, he's, that's what makes him this dominant, uh, sex. It is me stating there's no difference. I can think with my, my dick as well. And so, and even
1: beyond that, you know, in this day and age, there's so many people that, um, you know, they, they obviously, uh, the transgender people, regardless of, physiological or what they call like, you know, the birth gender or whatever. Um, there's so many distinctions culturally between what represents a man mm-hmm. versus what, what represents a woman. And regardless of any of those other factors, there is something that is so and just being, again, as I said earlier, being a, a man in the industry or being a man in the world, there is a, a benchmark of of power that is given that is maybe unearned and well you know primarily unearned in the sense that it is is sort of you know it's a privilege i suppose you might say mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um yeah sorry but it, it is it is the truth that that the power structure that exists surrounding by surrounded by like kind of the i guess what you call the traditional male character um mm-hmm. is i mean it's not i, I mean it sounds too like dramatic, but there it is. Villainous in so many ways, and, and has yeah. been for so long.
0: For sure,
2: yeah. And I think that you know, given the the nature of um, the industry and the genre that I've been trying to to break into and crack, it, it's it is male dominated. It just is. And so, growing up, being on tour, I was more often than not the only female on the tour, the only female in the room. And, uh, I, I never looked, thought of myself less than I never, but being treated, not all the time, it's not like everybody, but you do, you know, um, face it often. It just starts to pile up until, um, you write a song like King. You know, mm-hmm.
0: have you bonded with other women on the road in the industry in music? Um, what's been what's been that experience been like?
2: Um, yes, one hundred percent. I think since you know entering into the active rock scene, ev- almost every female I've come into contact with, whether it be like Lizzie or the girls from The Warning, or Amy mm-hmm. Lee, or Maria Brink, Ash Costello, Taylor Momsen. Um. Um, Bones UK, Ugh, love them. I know I love them so much. Just to love name a them. few, you know yeah. Dorothy. Dorothy and I have become really good friends. Um, every woman that I've come in contact with, you know, s- since coming coming out as Lilith Czar, ha- has been nothing but so overwhelmingly supportive. Oh,
0: that's the best.
2: It's the best, and it's genuine support. Yeah. We are genuinely rooting for each other the com- camaraderie in the rock scene with the women is un- is palpable. It's unlike Aww. anything I've ever experienced and I think that just comes from the fact that we all, you know, we know that we are trying to do something that isn't traditionally done and that is mentally, spiritually and physically difficult and we have this just sisterhood and understanding that we need to be there for each other. And it's been so fucking awesome.
0: That's so beautiful. I love every single artist you mentioned, by the way, as a, as an yes. individual and as an artist. Yes. So that's Absolutely. beautiful to hear from you. Um, Andy, I loved the ghost of Ohio. Oh, thank you. What did it mean for you? And was that a goal of yours to, to do a solo album? And is that something you'd like to do more of?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the, the first one was the shadow side and that right. record was primarily, um, it was, I guess, in some ways, it was kind of a collaboration record because every single song on the first one featured someone that either I knew or John Feldman knew that we felt would be great for it. So there's, you know, Patrick Stump and Gerard and Mikey Way and the Madden Brothers and uh, Quinn Alman from The Used and just every kind of, you know, our yeah. scene, so to speak. It was just kind of everybody would come in for a day and, and help us out on something, and so that was a lot of fun. So when I went to do. The Ghost of Ohio. The idea was to try to put in many, uh, in many ways, thematically the ideas that I use with Blackville. The idea of an overarching story, building constructs within the world, world building um, that can allow for me to tell a narrative story in, in, throughout a record. And I had not done that with solo material, and so um, it was it was a lot of fun, not only doing that, but also just like researching the haunted nature of the area that I'm from and finding out all these crazy stories about places that as a kid i was terrified of and now realize with good reason you know like and and it's Uh funny because i'm i'm someone who um you know i'm i'm not theistic i don't necessarily believe in in like that kind of stuff um but the fact remains that there was some weird stuff that was happening in these places that then as a little kid without knowing that i was picking up on whatever that was so um i got really interested in that and then that kind of spawned off into well what if you know what if I wrote a version of of my life where a a version of me that was 15 years old that wanted to move out of Delhi in Ohio and come to California and be a rock star, if that version of me was kind of trapped there, and what would what would the realities be between what you love about where you're from? Because the thing about where you're from, one stretch of road, five minutes outside of the house that you grew up in, houses both all of your positive memories of your childhood and every crappy thing that happened to you as a kid. So there's a very complicated relationship that a lot of us have with where we're from, because so much of your life is that juxtaposition of the positive and negative that you experience all the time. And when you're a kid, it's very hard to wade through all those differentiations in terms of what, what was a a notable moment in your life or what I guess now people call core memories, those right. things that were intrinsic to who you are versus what's something that, you know, maybe didn't have as big of an impact on you as you thought. And I also became obsessed with our inherent need that we have, I think, is people to romanticize elements of our own life to help make it fit the narrative that we'd like to have as adults and thinking about how much of my life as a kid was spent in the way that I actually felt it was versus how much of it was me building up the version of Andy that was, you know, going to have the story that I wanted to have as an adult. And so that's spawned writing the book that's fond, um, yeah. you know, in many ways, kind of doing more introspection and and has informed my writing really ever since.
0: That's incredible. I love getting that context. And Ohio in general is like a hotbed for some of the greatest, specifically rock. If you think about the history of yeah, Ohio, it's, it's, right? it's crazy.
1: People, it's, people don't realize, you know, there's, there's quite a bit. It's,
0: I mean, what Black Keys, Trent Reznor, Maynard, yeah, uh, um, I think, uh, I think Bear Tooth from there,
1: uh, is Bear Tooth from Not Pilots. Far Away. Twenty One yeah. Pilots is from Not Far Away. My yeah. one of my top five favorite bands of all time, Foxy Zazam, is from yeah. Cincinnati. Yes, uh, right. Yeah. So oh,
2: this Nick Lachey,
1: Nick Lachey, right? Carmen Electra, George right. Clooney, Johnny oh my Depp. God.
2: Yeah,
0: wow. Ohio. Amazing. Spitting out stars. What about new music for you guys? Are you guys working on new music? Where do you, where do you, where do you stand right now? Yeah, we're
1: both in we the are... making a new record cycle. Cycle. Yeah. yeah.
2: I've been uh I've been working with Scott. Um we've been writing new material. And then when I'm not in LA or Nashville working with him, I'm home um just writing by myself. I've probably written Mm, I would say like 12 songs so far for the new record. That doesn't mean they're all going on the album. Right, right, Right. I tend to get, we tend to compile like 30 or 40 songs and then we pick the record. That's how I've always done it. And so I'm just, you know, dipping my foot in, you know, getting the, the concept going and the idea I want for this album and what I want it to, you know, communicate and all of that. So, um, I'm at the I'm at the beginning stages, but I am making a new record. Oh,
1: it's she's so much exciting. further along than than I am. We're just in the thinking to, about talking about it stage. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we're
2: in the setting up a meeting to set up a meeting to set I say,
0: I say. Yeah,
1: no, we're we're uh, you know everybody's writing stuff here and there. I've I've got some ideas. Jake and Jenks have some ideas. You know, we'll we're kind of now that we're on different coasts, it's more about you know when we get together for rehearsals or on tour, we'll exchange ideas and then. Plan a time for all of us to get together and really work through them. So, yeah, it's it's the the thinking about planning to think about right, stage. Exactly.
0: Both of you are objectively beautiful beings, both inside and out. Likewise. You too. Likewise. <laughs> Thank you, guys. How do you prioritize your health, both physically and mentally?
2: Um. Well, I. I. For me. I can't like sing if I don't take care of my body. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, if I get a crappy night's sleep, it affects my voice. If I get a crappy night's sleep and I don't take vitamins and, and, um, give my body the nourishments it needs, I struggle on stage for an hour. Like I, I do, I feel like I do everything to take care of my body in order to put on the best performance I possibly mm-hmm. can and feel my best, you know, um, a, a large part of, of being able to be productive and get lots of things done and write good songs and be in the studio for all hours and put on a good, all of that comes from, Taking care of yourself, Mm -hmm. making sure you mentally are doing great and are happy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I find I can get all of a a lot of that stems from simply taking care of yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think for both of us within the last six years, seven years, um, our, our real hardline choice to prioritize making sure that we were working out every single day in some capacity, we've been eating really healthy, doing all the things that we can um, to take care of ourselves has also, and this is not, you know, uncommon, but it's also helped on every other thing, you know, when it comes to just feeling all around healthier. And, you know, we we talk about it, and I, I was just thinking about it the other day. You know, we really are, from the time we were kids, as has been described, we want to entertain you. You know, we want to give a a good show. And if people are paying to come see us, I'm going to get my butt up in the morning and run and sprint and make sure I'm in good shape so I can run around the stage and sing and entertain you because we've been given these incredible jobs that, you know, allow for us to do this. So the least we can do is to give enough of a shit to stay in shape, do what we can to take care of uh, ourselves. And I think beyond that, it's not necessarily on, on an aesthetic level because everybody's aesthetics are affected differently by personal care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more about just the feeling that you get from knowing that you're doing what you can to take care of yourself, because there were many years where we didn't do that. You know, we were we were more interested in, you know, being drunk, fucking and, off yeah. and
2: like doing whatever we wanted. <laughs> but what was happening is our everything felt well, for me. It felt like it was slipping through my fingers you yeah. know, and it was slipping away. And um I never want to feel that feeling ever again. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that I'm constantly pushing myself to be the best version of myself um, so I can hold on to the things that I love.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful, guys. Really inspiring. Um the other thing I want to talk about is I feel like we're having this resurgence of the culture and the scene that we all lived through. So in the early 2000s or whenever it was, we didn't realize at the time that we were experiencing like a moment in time, like a bubble. And then it sort of like dissipated and kind of like went away. I'm wearing Jinko
1: jeans underneath the table right now.
0: (laughs) I actually own a pair of Jinko jeans. amazing. (laughs) Of course you do. It like went really underground or really obscure, but now it feels like new... New air and and life is being breathed. The bamboozle is you know is back, and I mean you guys sure. met on Warped Tour originally, right? So like just yeah. that yeah. energy is back. The love of whether it's pop punk or emo or whatever you want to call right. it. Um, yeah. How is that? How is that making you feel? And are you here for it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean we yeah. just uh just played when we were young fest in yeah, so, uh, exactly. Vegas, and it was you know it was a lot of fun. I think the the coolest part of any of this is. I would say there's there's kind of twofold to it. Right. And and I don't mean to to sort of grandstand and act as if I have anything on anybody else when it comes to uh, integrity with my art. But I can look at the body of work that we've made in our career and be proud of every song. Some I like more than others, but I know that my heart was in the right place. And when the world and the consciousness comes back around and starts to pay attention to art that was created earnestly, regardless of whether there's an irony to it or people are commenting on it in, the, in regards to like, Oh, remember those days or nostalgia or whatever else. Yeah. If there is being a light that is being shined on art that was made in earnest, I think that that's always a wonderful thing because whether the entry point is you saw a TikTok of somebody doing an impression of Tom DeLonge and then maybe you somehow get into yeah. X, Y, Z, how you might find a band totally. finding an entry point into what I believe for both of us was an era in music, um, that w- spoke to us. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't realize that Matt Skiba was writing songs about like drug use. I thought they were about my sad little broken heart as a 14 year old, you know? <laughs> yeah. and so You
2: should have been listening to dashboard.
1: Yeah. Fair. All right, yeah. But you <laughs> know, right. for me, that was the band that spoke to me the most was alkaline trio. So I got to stand at when we were young and watch and sing along to this band that has, I have 14 alkaline trio tattoos, like my most impactful thing. And, and I've been lucky enough to work with Matt and get to know him. But like the fact that they were on this big festival stage and there were all these people singing the songs to radio because who knows, maybe they heard it on TikTok or whatever else. Yeah. However you get there, I, it's incumbent on us to not gate gatekeep you from getting there and to right. allow people to find stuff. That's really, really good.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm with
1: that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm with that too. I think that I, I love seeing it come back around um, fashion wise because I'm totally stuck in the early 2000s. I think I'm like, oh, great, I don't have to change anything. Yeah.
0: Um, but. Like I <laughs> but never also, left, so it works out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Um, but, you know, also just uh, seeing something that we were a part of, I feel, uh, albeit the, the ending era of it. Sure. Um, come back around and like, I, I don't know, for me with automatic love letter, there was only like three other female, like emo bands at the time. And so for me, it's kind of like a, Oh man, I was, I was a part of that like kind of movement and that, uh, uh, the the first of it, if you will. And so Mm -hmm. I, I like to see that, um, you know, people are still, Crying in their
0: hearts, and
1: yeah, <laughs> mascara is still running down their face. Still running, still
0: running. Yes, still running. The fingernails are still black. I love it. Yes, the swoopy hair. So good. It's so good. All right, we're going to do a quick round called Deep Cuts. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: Name a song, album, or artist that changed your life.
2: Oh man, that's really hard because I have a couple.
1: Can I say mine then? While you oh, think it's about so it. So
2: hard. Yeah
1: my favorite record of all time and was still and this is I, I don't I don't mind admitting this. I put it on the other morning and I was running around our neighborhood and the, like the sun had just come out and I got like happy tears like I had just won the Super Bowl. Like that's the feeling it gives me is wow. the uh Bruce Springsteen's magic record. Wow. Um it's a really weird latter era. It came out in two thousand seven and not it's not like among his major you know, everybody knows them records, but I I really believe that it's one of the most beautifully written like rock records uh, ever. And I I have it, the album cover tattooed on the inside of my arm. It's it wow. means the world to me. So that's it's huge for me.
0: Beautiful choice. That's a beautiful
1: choice.
2: That's really good. So I still don't know what my answer
0: it's is. Okay, okay. <laughs> you, can, you can do you can do like a quick couple, like a couple. Okay.
2: Okay, so... Top three. Top three. Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Yeah, that really record cool. just brings back my childhood. Um, it's one of the greatest rock records written of all time. Just yeah, front yeah. to back. It is a... Agreed. Perfect record. So good. Um, uh, David Bowie's Hunky Dory. Yeah. I listened to that record when I was driving across the United States
1: in a covered wagon. In a covered wagon. <laughs> Horse and the horses,
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, and uh, I, for, when I was driving from Florida to California, I played that record over and over and over again when I was like 16 years old, 16, 17. And um, there's just something about it. I mean, the, the record is great. The songs are amazing. The lyrics, David Bowie's perfectly imperfect voice. Ugh. Just absolutely love that record. And then I would say... Alanis Morissette's "Jagged Little Pill."
0: Yes, great picks. Yes, that, fantastic
1: top three. Thank you,
2: thank yeah. you. That really record good. really, really good. brought out just the guttural um, feminism, just
0: flagging me.
2: It's just yeah. she, Alanis is my.
0: She was. Uh, she is, but she is. you're also she would just come out with like her oversized T-shirts oh, and like her long fuck. hair, and she, she didn't you're like give a yes. Shit. Yes. yes, everything was baggy and just oh. she was so cool, and her lyrics are so groundbreaking and emotional and yeah. storytelling, and yeah, and yeah.
2: unique and different, and uh, uh, she could make you cry, and then she could make you want to punch things, and yes. then she, yeah, I just
0: uh, I, I love chills. that woman to death. Yeah. Great picks, are both Thank of you. you okay? First concert,
1: Billy Idol. <laughs> Billy Idol at uh, Kings Island Amusement Park in Cincinnati. He played six songs, and then he tried to play uh, Rebel Yell four times, and then something kept going wrong every time. And then oh, he cursed no. into the microphone and then would leave the stage, and then he would come back on, and then he'd start the song over again, and then he would stop the song, and then it ended with him punting the microphone into the ground. And then the lights all came up, and the show ended for a while. Uh, and
0: then, my parents <laughs> and what was your takeaway? What was your takeaway from this?
1: I, I, well, I was I was intrigued by the whole situation. Uh, yeah. As we were leaving, I heard that he went. He, they went back on, and I was a little kid, so he went back on, and he started his uh, Doors L.A. Woman medley thing. Which, uh, no offense, Doors fans, uh, not for me. That 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 medley that, that Billy does. Huge Billy Idol fan. But that yeah. that is not my uh, not my jam. But um, I, I've you know I've been fortunate enough to communicate with Billy over the years. I've never told him this story that my first concert was him having one of those like show from hell's shows.
2: Uh, <laughs> was it was it as you bad? Should. No, wow, you totally should. Yeah. Was could. it Billy Billy Joel
1: level? Yes, that Billy Joel video where he's saying quit lighting the audience and he's yelling at everybody. It was Just Let
2: me sing my song. The,
1: I would say but he wasn't. I, something was going on. It was amazing. I wish that I had been old enough to understand like what could have been going wrong on stage, but from right. my perspective as like an 8-year-old, something was very uh, well something was upsetting Billy Idol. That's all we can say. <laughs>
0: something was upsetting Billy Idol. I love that.
1: First show.
2: Um, so I would say at my first concert, uh, alone, like with me, it was me and my brother, my aunt, who was a couple years older than us was like our chaperone. I was, I want to say I was 12 or 13 and we went and saw, um, bad religion
0: and 182. Cool. That's a really cool first concert. That's Yeah, awesome. it was, it
2: was awesome. But what I didn't know, because I was a, uh, a noob in the arena concert going, uh, world was that I thought we had amazing seats because we were in row like three. And I, what I didn't know was that there was a gigantic, floor. vast yeah. floor in front yeah. of us that the bands would be a thousand miles away from us. <laughs> so, um, we get there and I, and I'm very disappointed. I'm like, how the hell, how are we going to even see this is going to suck. So we're, we, we watched Bad Religion. It was amazing. And, um, we had like gone to the merch and gotten, you know, some Blink 182 t-shirts and we're sitting back down in our seats and Blink is about to come out. And we're like, you know, kind of, you know, seeing how we can maybe get closer. What if we went around this side or this side? And, uh, Blink comes out, they start their set and, uh, during all, all the small things, everybody in the arena, I mean, everybody that was seated rushed the, the wall, the, the wall between the seats and, and the floor and just jumped over the wall into the floor. It was like pandemonium it's chaos. terrifying. It was, yeah. are you kidding me? I was like, this is awesome. And we <laughs> <left the laughs> range, dumped over the wall. We were dodging security and ran into oh, the crowd of people in order to get us cl- And we got really close to the stage for the rest of the set. And we were like so happy. So euphoric! We- and then Billy Idol came Aww. on stage and, and said, Idol "The show's over. Everybody, get
1: out! Everybody, get out of here! I'm
2: no. play LA woman." What What did happen? That was that. that was pretty sad. Was we got back to our seats and somebody had stolen all of our bags and merch. And
0: oh, that is sad. Yeah, it was sad, but we it were still sad. so happy that we had gotten as close to the stage as we yeah. got. We fine. Okay, favorite movie? Oh. <laughs>
2: Your reactions, the best. <laughs> oh my god! That's
1: Another tough one. Horror.
2: No, that's my favorite horror movie. Go oh, with your my... favorite
1: horror movie. We going to go you with know okay. my...
2: That's like top three. Or horror... I would say my favorite movie of all time is.
0: I would. I have to say, *Labyrinth*. Uh, I. N- I actually was going to guess that. Another yeah. David Bowie <laughs> reference. Another David we Bowie. We had reference. this conversation before. Yeah,
2: it's, it goes labyrinth, then the Princess Bride, and then
0: I guess as above, so below, which is amazing. Totally. I love it.
1: Here we go. That's my favorite movie.
0: Oh yeah, I love that. There's a visual involved. Yes, V for Vendetta. He he makes us watch it every year. If you were not a musician, what would you be?
1: What's the person who uh, just makes clothes uh for a musician and also draws pictures and like a I designer don't, no like, no like what i'm saying is, is that like, work it's very drill. hard because without the musician part all the other stuff that i enjoy doing would be much more difficult like making comic books and all that like it provides right. me the opportunity to do that so um when i was a little kid i wanted to be a uh professional hockey player who also was a rock star who was also a really uh, successful stand-up comedian so those were the three wow. things that i want. i wanted to be a multi-hyphenate uh, all at once so ambitious we can take hockey off the table but i can still do the other stuff potentially
0: you are very funny you are very funny so i support this
2: i love clothing i love fashion i love um you know de- designing and making things and um, creating things and putting things together and all of that. I, I definitely feel like that would be something that I would do. Um, I also feel like I really get a lot of, um, joy out of helping people. And, you know, I love animals. So I feel like there would be a part mm-hmm. of me would dedicate a lot of my time to what, what, you know, either rescuing animals or helping, helping people in some sort of way, whether it's like, you know, going and, helping feed starving children or or, I don't know. I, I, I think about that a lot and like how I can get more in, into philanthropy and, and Mm -hmm. helping people, um, with the outlet that I do have now. And so I feel like I would definitely do something in that vein.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. Do you have a prized possession? Um, I mean, we're
1: sitting in a room full of about Andy has like two hundred forty action figures, in this
0: room. <laughs> right?
1: All the walls, everything.
0: So maybe it's your collection, your collection.
1: Yeah, my collection. Like I have, st- I have stuff in here that's like actually like legitimately cool. Like I have every, uh, you can't see them because it's too dark. But I have every uh, screen used Batman cowl from the movies. So they're they're movie lineage. So they're made from the same molds that they had. The but they were spares that weren't worn. I have all of those from every movie up until the Robert Pattinson one. So like stuff like that. Like I love when I get off tour coming in here, just looking at my nerd stuff makes me happy.
0: You're a collector. I like that. He just
2: comes in here and stands in the middle of the room and just stares around for like... I take off all
1: my clothes and I stand in here I put my hands up (laughs) high up on my waist. It's
2: really high whistling noise the whole time.
1: put my hands up real high on my waist and I sort of lean, I tilt back and forth. (laughs)
0: Yeah. No clothes. That's amazing. Oh my God. Uh,
1: So my prized possession is getting fully nude and whistling in my toys.
0: Yeah. Standard. Normal.
2: Um, My prized possession... I would have to say is my, probably my oldest acoustic guitar I have, which is a Taylor. I've had it for about 18-ish years, I want to say. Wow. Yeah. I love that guitar. It's a beautiful guitar. Um And then my grandmother gave me, um on our wedding day, actually, I got this, it was a family heirloom. It was like this old, I don't know, it's probably like 150, 175 years old or it's something amazing. like wow. it's an antique chain like um purse, like a yeah. woman's it's That's just incredible. this beautiful antique um purse that was passed down to me and it's always been in our in our family and so I thought that was a very very nice gift. That's
0: very special. Yeah. What is something your fans would be surprised to learn about you?
1: Well, oh, I suppose it's, the realization that we are um, really anti-social people uh. who like just to sort of like, we don't, we don't ever bother anybody. We don't like, we like to just be sort of keep to ourselves. We enjoy just sitting at home and kind of a very calm life when we're not, you know, going crazy and working and touring. So maybe, uh, maybe it's not, they wouldn't, they'd be surprised by it, but just a misconception that, um you know, we're, we're pretty like, very chill people.
2: Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, we don't, I don't give a shit about being famous at all. And yeah. neither does he. Like, that's not. For, yeah.
1: And uh, to be clear, but what, what, uh, I believe what you're kind of saying there is an ubiquitous fame. The idea that, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, like, you go to the grocery store and people take pictures of you or that kind of stuff. And and, and when <laughs> fans do come up <laughs> to yeah. us in public, we greatly oh, yeah, yeah. appreciate it. No, yeah. I'm
2: not, not to say that I'm not appreciative of, of people who do support us and follow our music and, and all of that, it's more so that we're not like, um, vying for the...
1: It's not about attention. Yeah. Public attention. attention. Public you know, attention. the idea yeah. that, and this is maybe something that I don't think is, is super uncommon, but maybe a lot of people don't necessarily, um, voice, is that, like you said, like so much of, um... Creating art is the idea that it's going to have impact on somebody. And the mm-hmm. way in our world that you, that impact is seen is by people coming to the shows, people, you know, saying that they like your art, that real kind of in-person contact. To just be famous for the idea that someone knows about you without being able to make anything out of it, I think is something that neither of us particularly have any interest in.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um. And uh, what else? We're really weird. Yeah, like we're <laughs> like we're no, we're super weird. Like we, the the things that we do to entertain. <laughs>
1: A lot of weird songs, Lots singing weird a lot of weird dances songs and
0: weird songs,
2: like dances. just making
0: up. You guys are really funny. You're very funny and goofy and sort of zany. very, yes. very, yeah. very silly. Yeah. Like yeah. we, we, are crazy people. We're, we've written Fun. so many, so many like joke
2: songs at this point that we have talked about like making an album. We're
1: not going to tell you the name of it because we don't want to spoil anything. We don't, but we, we do, have a great we do have, project name and an album name. It. Yeah. For our silly song. So that's really? coming. 2048 mixtape.
0: Yeah. Coming out. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'm holding you guys to this. I'm like obsessed with this idea. Yeah, when we're ready to reveal it, you'll
2: be the first one we tell. Thank you. I'll be live yeah.
1: streaming naked from this room singing for <laughs> my <ashen> <laughs> Hands
2: on hips. Hands yeah, on
1: Hands hips. on my hips.
2: And
0: I'll just be behind and popping out every Yeah. <laughs> that's mostly
1: like a side project. It's
0: not creepy at all. It's not creepy. Yeah. Do you have a favorite tattoo? Both of you have countless beautiful uh, ink on you. What is there one favorite tattoo that you guys have? Oh, a couple.
1: I, There's, mean, I have one that I like on both of us because of what it, when it was in our relationship and yeah. what it represents. Yeah. Um, we have our, our, our nicknames for each other written in each other's So my hands right
2: now are Aww. kind of a dumpster fire because I'm actually in the process of removing some tattoos, but this tattoo was Andy's handwriting and that was my That's handwriting. Cool. And th- that was our first, like...
1: That's the first tattoo we got together. Tattoo. Yeah, yeah.
2: tattoo. Um, and then, of course, we've got each other's Special. names tattooed.
1: Got each other's lyrics, lyrics, names. we got a lot of that. Uh,
2: yeah. My face.
1: I have her face, yeah.
2: It's on his ass. And then we also have...
1: 26, because that's... We were uh, both born yeah, on yeah.
2: the 26th of the months that we were born on. Yeah. And our lucky number... And it's got
0: a chain around it because we're each other's fallen chain.
1: You never imagined when you asked this question that we would have 47 responses. For so you.
0: many answers, but all good ones. All good yeah. ones, guys.
1: All legit. Yeah.
0: What do you hope to achieve next? You go. I'm going to drink some water. you going to have some water? Yeah.
1: Um, I would. I've always said that the dream for me is just to continue to be able to do this. If people are willing mm-hmm. to let me make music and make music videos and comic books and books and whatever else, like the experience of getting to do all these things, things that I dreamt of my whole life and being given the opportunity to do that. That's really the dream. If in 10 years time, people still give enough of a shit that they're going to say, okay, go ahead. You can go do this. Um, that's, that's to me, the, the greatest gift I have ever been given by anybody is that people have given me an opportunity to entertain them. And I, that's really all I ever want to do.
0: That's really beautiful.
2: The very good answer that I can't beat.
1: Well, you decided for me to go first. So
0: <laughs> I was really on you. are like. Oh, yeah. So
1: you can't blame me when I'm done with what I said.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, more so on what he's saying. I just want to be able to um put out records my whole life. I want this to be something that um, you know, I can do for the rest of my life. Um, I think that. Uh, being a a musician this day and age is quite difficult. You know, you with uh with streaming and and the fact that not a lot of lot of uh how do how do I say without sounding like I am not grateful for what streaming ha- does. Well, no. So obviously,
1: through. we all know that you know to a certain degree, the the monetary value of the music itself is is less than it's ever been in terms of what you're what you can really make from the specifically the music end of your art. So with that said, yeah, there is such a clear I've argued now more than anything else. People always say music isn't as good as it used to be. And I would say that there is absolutely no way that that's true, because regardless whether you like old music more than you like music now, you were essentially if you were of a certain age and looked in a certain way in nineteen seventy three and you could go like pudding on a guitar, you got a record contract <laughs> and like at least five hundred thousand dollars just for existing. So that the the threshold now for why you make something is so much more about the love of making it.
0: Yeah. That,
1: you know, regardless of that, for us to be able to make records that's the dream. You know, cuz yeah. it's not it's not as if the dream is I'm going to become a trillionaire off of these record sales. The dream is I'd love to just be able to do this.
2: Yeah, and like, Aww. you know, I for me, it's uh it's felt like a uh, a life's long pursuit of getting to a point in my career where where I felt uh stable, where I felt yeah. Uh, secure and, and it wasn't like I was, um, having to, to fight for it. You yeah. know, my ultimate goal is to get to a place where, um, it's something that just is and, um, isn't something that I am, uh, constantly feeling like I'm in a battle for. Mm-hmm. You know, um, being a, a rock musician is, is a lot of work and it's total it's all worth it but it's a, it's a lot of it's all of your energy it's all of your mm. time and um how do i say what i'm trying to say it's
0: uh you finally got to a point where you're you feel like you've gotten the validation and the opportunity to just do you and right. you just want to be able to keep that position where you can just keep doing and focusing on the music and the art and just you exactly thank you Thank you. Yeah, no, I Nelson. get it. I get it. No, because yeah. I, I felt it with this last album, with this chapter, with seeing the yeah. two of you, how beautiful you are together and how you inspire each other. It's inspiring just to see and to be around and to experience. So oh, thank I'm you. really grateful yes, for I you guys. And that's why I wanted to chat with you together, because I think you. that individually, you're both amazing. But the real gift is is the, the love that you share. Um, and that we all kind of benefit from because it's beautiful and it's inspiring. Oh, so, thank you yeah. so much,
2: Allison. That's so sweet. You no, know,
0: thank you so much for doing this with me. It's just, you know, this is, this show is just a celebration of, of love and music and the rock and roll spirit. And you guys yeah. cl- clearly embody that. So
1: wow. we love it. We love you. Yes. Thank th- 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 you. So so th-
2: nice. Thank you so much, Allison. I, I say it, it, your name comes up so often in our household, oh, yeah. whether oh. it's here. Whether it's at my, 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 my parents' house. I mean, even with people, even with my managers, I mean, you're such a, you're such a massive force behind rock and alternative music and your love and knowledge and ability to, to just remember your, how do you remember the things that you remember? Like you're, (laughs) you're so well versed in records and in songs and people's name. I mean, it's like, it's truly inspiring and we just love you so much. And I think that you're one of the,
0: one of the most incredible women I've ever known. So
1: you're in a class all of your own.
0: Yes. Oh my God. Guys, I'm I'm like, see him blushing. You're, you're, you're (laughs) my face hurts right now. It's amazing. Oh, thank you so much! Um, yeah. I can't wait to see what you guys do
1: next.
2: Thank you so much, Allison. Immediately
1: next, we're gonna eat we're dinner. We're gonna go eat We ordered food. We
2: ordered food to that's be delivered. Incredible. At, yeah, yeah. That's, at, that's
1: our next big. Or, we have we a big have announcement minutes, to make. We're gonna go eat dinner now.
2: And we're gonna go watch a <laughs> scary movie.
0: I just love them. It is so wonderful when you get to see a couple who complement each other so perfectly. They just radiate love and are a joy to be around, and they are hilarious. It is true. It is now time for my sound advice. New music you need to know on the Alison Hagendorf Show playlist. First up is my girl Charlotte Sands, whose Good Now EP is out this week. She was raised on the energy of pop punk bands of the early 2000s and the storytelling of folk singers and songwriters. And you can certainly hear all of these influences in her songs. I am loving this entire EP, but check out Charlotte Sands' song, Lost. Next is L.A. band Future Lust, completely unsigned, and I fell in love with the song Upon First Listen. Reminds me of Deftones, Glassjaw, and 30 Seconds to Mars. The band said this song is about feeling out of place and coming to terms with the pain that a loved one has caused. Check out the latest from Future Lust, Rogue. Also, my sound advice is the latest from Morgan. He shared with me that he recently fell in love for the very first time, and this love makes him feel like he is floating, and he wanted to capture that feeling in this song. He wrote this on the piano he grew up playing while he was back home in Nashville. Check out the latest from Morgan, Young and in Love. That's my sound advice this week. You can hear all of these plus more on the Allison Hagendorf Show playlist. The link to that is in the show notes and at com. As always, thank you so much for being part of the Allison Hagendorf Show. New episodes drop every Friday, so make sure you follow and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch the show on Instagram and YouTube. I would love to hear from you. So please like, comment, rate, review, whatever you're feeling, and reach out to me on socials at Ali Hagendorf. I would love to connect with you. Let me know who I should interview next and what new music I should feature on my sound advice. Thanks again. I'll see you next week. And remember, you're a rock star.